This week on the Sport Blacks. This week, bronze for the Opals at a sensational Women's World Cup. Concern for a young gun in Miami. Some fishy business out of Ohio. <laughs> and the second part of our NBL preview. Oh yeah, and Adelaide beat an NBA team. Let's go! It's 8.26 on Wednesday, the 5th of October 2022, and we start with breaking news. Daniel Johnson now pretty much holds every NBL record known to humankind. Oh, I hadn't seen that. What's he? Is this off the back of the Phoenix game, is it? Yeah, the commentators kept talking about how he was like the all-time leading scorer, the all-time leading field goals made, all this shit. And Andrew Gase didn't even correct him in the com box. <laughs> what? Yeah, didn't you hear that? Were you watching with the sound? No, office? no, I didn't. Yeah, I, I must admit, I was doing other things at the same time. But uh, of course, I mean, yes. Maybe current player leading. I don't know, but that, that was kind close. of the speculation. Yeah, like active players, maybe in the forty-minute era. Anyway, in all seriousness, though, geez, it's been another huge week in the world of sport, as it so often is, both on the courts and fields of play, as well as off them. We've had more cheating scandals, updates on existing ones, scary vision of players with back injuries, stadium tragedies, which is very sad, and we'll get to that. On the flip side, the Opals have added to their trophy cabinet, and of course, the Suns setting in Phoenix after Adelaide's thrilling win, some of which we'll deal at the top here, and some of it we'll deal with later throughout the episode. Check timestamps as always. It's going to be very basketball heavy again. As we so often do, Stewie, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, I wanted to start a little bit with, a, I guess, a T20 World Cup update. It's 11 days. Can you believe how soon it is until this thing starts? Yeah, I know. We'd better try and get some tickets. We've probably missed the boat. I dare say we'd be very, very lucky at the moment. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but unfortunately, I guess a couple of the big stories coming out of this revolve around injuries. And I think the first one we've got to talk about is Jasper Boomer. He's been ruled out with a back injury, which I think you alluded to at the top. And that could see him out for as much as six months. This is a massive loss for India. The back injury comment was actually about Tua Tungavailoa's... Uh... <laughs> oh, I see. Yes, oh. and we'll get to that at the end of the episode. But yeah, no, that's a big loss for India. Huge, huge. I mean, he's a top 50 bowler in the world for T20Is. He's has a career run rate of 6.6 and over, one of the best amongst all non-associate nations. I did have a quick look at that, and half of the top 50 was basically people from like Malta and Jersey and random spots like that. So yes, we've certainly, talked about it. Yeah, in terms of the, the major nations, he's, he's one of the best. Hasn't had an amazing year. I mean, he's been around about the sort of the high sevens this year in terms of sort of run rate per over. But look, he's still a phenomenal bowler early in innings. He's very hard to get away in the late overs as well. So yeah, really, really tough loss for India. The bat side of things, I mean, they are incredibly deep there as well. They've got a lot of guys who can score at very high rates. Surya Kumar Yadav, Dinesh Kartik have been really, really great in the South Africa series. We know what we're going to get from Rohit Sharma, KL Rahul, Rishabh Pant, Hardik Pandya. Yeah, 200 is not a scary score for India and it used to be that that was a good 50 over score but now it's like almost become par in the T20s yeah it's a funny game now India not the only one suffering from an injury Johnny Bairstow out for England after a really gruesome injury doing of all things walking to a tee box at a golf course <laughs> it just yeah it beggars belief that someone can do so much damage walking to a tee box. So he's basically slipped, broken his fibula in three places. And for people like me who were very shit at science, that's the lower leg bone. He's also dislocated his <laughs> ankle. He's done this, the syndesmosis joint, lateral ligaments, all sorts of things. He's just turned 33. He's going to be out for a while with that one. 
And I guess he's kind of been on the fringe of England for a while. So do you think he plays for England again? Oh, gee. <sighs> Maybe as an injury replacement for other guys when he comes back. Yeah, that's that's going to be really hard to come back from, isn't it? It is. It is. And especially when you consider that, you know, what his specialty is, which is batting, England have a pretty formidable lineup there as well. I mean, like India, they've got guys at the top who can really, really get away, like Joss Butler, Liam Livingston, Ben Stokes, David Milan, Moeen Ali. Like they've got a really good batting lineup. And so if all goes well for England, they might start looking past him. Oh, look, it's not out of the question at all. Yep. It's it's pretty yeah. bad timing for the poor guy. It is. I think the only thing that maybe goes in his favour is the fact that Ali and Milan are both 35. So maybe the fact that they're sort of on the way out in terms of their, their age, that might help a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I knew Ali was kind of towards the end. I didn't realise Milan was that old. There you go. Yeah, that did surprise me a little bit. I mean, Stokes is 31. You know, these guys are all sort of you know, starting to, to pass by the, as far as the years go. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it will be a long way back for him. And it's a shame because as we've seen over the years, when Bairstow gets firing, he is one of the most elite batters in the world. And and you mentioned Ben Stokes. I mean, he's one of those blokes that's quit some forms of the game and, and we're going to see that more and more as well. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Bairstow tries to hang around as a T20 specialist, but he's not a walk-up to their 11, as you say. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It will be. Now, the other thing I did want to just quickly talk about was absolute thoughts and prayers going out to the families of those tragically killed in that Indonesian soccer ride on Sunday. Loads and loads of fans stormed the ground. So Persebaya defeated Arima FC 3-2. This is a, a local derby, and they basically yeah stormed the field, not particularly happy with losing, and they were immediately sent back by armed police with tear gas. And the ensuing stampede, I believe 125 people lost their lives. It has been impossible to find out an exact number. It's been as high as 174 and as low as 125, but you've got hundreds of other people injured as well. There's going to be some serious PTSD for the survivors, and, and it kind of reiterates, I guess, that not only are soccer fans a little bit around you know, the worst in the world in terms of the stuff that they do and the way that they, they kind of cause issues but when you mix that with a police force that's designed to intimidate it's just it's a recipe for disaster oh it's heartbreaking isn't it 124 was the last number i saw but uh, i i suspect that that will be higher than the 125 you said as well and uh, there's been some really bad soccer stories lately there was some people doing nazi salutes and stuff here in australia recently too so not a good week for soccer off off the field in many ways and it's yeah just as you say ptsd just but really sad, really sad. Yeah, it, it is. There's, there's never a good time for any of these sorts of numbers to be happening. But certainly, you know, people just wanting to go along and watch a soccer match. And a lot of these people were probably just innocent bystanders that got caught up in it. And it, it's it's a real shame. There was a bloke that died at the Pittsburgh Steelers game on the weekend too. He fell from the escalator or something in the stadium. So, jeez. Oh, yeah, not a good week for, for people getting hurt or killed in stadiums. Mm. How about yourself, mate? Well, it feels weird to kind of change gears a little bit, but uh, can't be all doom and gloom, I guess. Did you notice that the Zoom uh, basically Kanye Wested you last week? Yeah, that is clever. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, like, did I cut you off halfway and say, I'm, I'm going to let you finish? But... <laughs> Oh, 
no, it wasn't that. It was just the auto-tuny stuff. So hopefully that doesn't happen today <laughs> again because we are remote again. Fingers crossed. And we won't talk about his recent fashion line either. In all seriousness, though, an update from last week. So chess.com has conducted a 72-page report which has found that Hans Neiman likely cheated over 100 times in online chess matches. Oh, gee whiz. Okay, so it's a lot deeper than we thought. Yeah, slightly more than the two he admitted to. Then there's a cheating scandal this time in poker. Did you see this one? So Robbie Jade Lou was accused by Garrett Adelstein. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a former Survivor contestant. Uh, yeah, the name doesn't ring a bell. So he accused her of cheating due to irregular betting patterns. She claims that she misread the cards but ended up winning the hand. Jack High, if I'm not mistaken. And then she gave the money back, which is a yeah, bit guilty I... consciency, isn't it? Yeah, I did see this one, actually. She made what a lot of people would refer to as a hero call with a jack high. She hadn't paired anything. The guy was basically on a, I think he had an open-ended straight draw and he's pushed all in and she's called with a jack high and basically taken down the pot. And he's just looked at her and he's like, what? in what world do you make that call? Like, yeah. that's, there's, there's hero calls and then there's that. Yep. And it was all over Twitter, lots and lots of discussion about that on Twitter and people retweeting the footage and people playing like internet sleuth and all sorts of stuff. Speaking of cricket earlier, Stewie, I'll, I'll stick with a little closer to home. So Teague Willie, I think it is, or Teague Wiley, scored 104 against New South Wales on Tuesday for WA. At 18 years, 163 days, only six cricketers have scored a ton at a younger age in the Sheffield Shield, the most recent being Punter when he was 18 years and 40 days during the summer of 92-93. There you go. I would not even hazard a guess at the other guys. No, there were a lot few names I didn't recognise, probably from 100 years ago, actually. Um, I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to go back and have a look. But WA wrapped the match up nice and swiftly today after New South Wales only managed 342 across both innings. WA only needing 85 in the second dig to finish them off. But 342 combined was a lot better than what they managed in their one day, where the Warriors skittled them for 76, their lowest ever one-day score. And these aren't just backups either. There's a lot of test players in this team. Yeah, look, interesting time for cricket, and it's a shame we haven't had time to really talk about it for a while. I mean, the Aussies just had their first T20 against the West Indies. We're very, very lucky to get over the line. Apologies if you were going to watch that after this. But, uh, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot, though. I mean, we've had series that we haven't even had a chance to talk about recently. So, yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, we're hoping we'll get Woody on. to. We know he's champing at the bit to talk some cricket. He obviously on Throwback Hoops only talks about hoops. So we know that he's very keen to talk cricket with us and we'll try and get him on soon. But the biggest one for me, and this could actually be a bloody hell, it's certainly bloody hell worthy, Stewie. What made Nath say bloody hell this week? Belgian jockey Christoph Similian pushing Rosa Ryan off their horse mid-race at the St. Cloud Race Course in France. Did you see this one? No, what? So he basically hip and shouldered him off the horse and he's been banned for two months, but will be free to ride in this weekend's Arc de Triomphe because the suspension won't kick in till mid-October. <laughs> That's almost as random as the suspension. Dude, like they're going at 60 kilometers an hour. Like you could just about kill someone pushing them off a horse well, at that could. speed. I quote, it was not a nice act on my side and I'm terribly sorry and want to apologize. I just received a big suspension from France Gallop Stewards. I'm going to be suspended for two months. Do you know what, mate? You got off fucking lightly. <laughs> My season is now gone. I accept the sentence for what I did. It was a terrible decision. It was a terrible decision. Two months. He is very lucky to only get two months. Very lucky. Yeah, that's like borderline attempted murder. Oh, mate, watch the video. It's it's not good. It was blatant. What'd you miss? 
Well, I saw a good amount of the opening round of the NBL, but I did miss a good chunk of the Sydney Illawarra game, which was a lot closer than I thought it would be. And I didn't see the Cairns-Tassie game because I decided one Tassie game was enough this weekend. How about yourself? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I didn't see the bronze medal game in the FIBA World Championships because I was working on a job application. And I missed the mm. cricket today as well. So, yeah, you can only cover so much. I did, unfortunately, see the loss to China, though, which uh, had we been in the gold medal game, I would have definitely made an effort to, to see that. But I was fairly confident that the Opals would win. And, of course, they did. It has to be said, as we predicted, the Americans absolutely dominated this thing. No one got remotely close to them throughout the tournament. And quite frankly, the 22-point win in the gold medal game against China was probably actually flattering to the Chinese team. Uh, an amazing tournament for Cheryl Reeve and her team and could not congratulate them enough for it. As an Aussie, I guess we've got a couple of games to talk about. I personally think this is probably one of the most disappointing bronze medals imaginable for the Opals. But look, let, let's talk about the China game first. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So going into the game, a lot of people would have had China winning. And it's a very good team representing China. But, geez, when we're up four with not much time left, oh, that pickpocket in the in the backcourt leading to a layup, it just kind of all fell apart there, didn't it? It did. And quite frankly, they were actually lucky. There was, I believe, an unsportsmanlike foul missed before that layup, which could very easily have been two plus the ball. This was probably one of the lowest IQ games I've seen from an Opals team in... Certainly a very long time, if not ever. Uh, the shot selection was hideous. Yeah, the Opals had a 20-7 to 7 advantage in offensive rebounds, but the percentages that they shot from the field just completely nullified that. And Sammy Wickham had a great tournament. Looked like she wanted to be a hero in this one. A number of ill-advised threes. I, I just, I think for me, the most disappointing thing, which certainly became more apparent in the next game, was the decision to play Lauren Jackson two minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah, no kidding, right? So, so I agree with you. And I think the ball movement was a bit lacking at times too. And you're right. They were launching some shots that they really shouldn't have been launching and they should have been a little bit more patient. But it was a bit of a head-scratcher. When when the time came for Australia to potentially tie it, and unfortunately, Ezzy Megbega missed that layup at the end. And I, I do think it was the right choice. I would have gone for the two rather than the three. But you kind of, you're thinking, oh, should Lauren Jackson be in here, even as a decoy? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just the fact that, you know, you had Han Shu just sitting back, blocking everything that came her way. It's like you needed somebody with a little bit of range to kind of bring her out of the keyway, give people a bit of a driving lane. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Magbagor, like she was good. She made the right choice. It had a real sort of Bryce Cotton feel to it, the way that it was like all or nothing. And as soon as it kicks off the rim, it just, it just sets in that, you know what, that's an opportunity gone. Do you know what it felt but, like? It, it felt like they got the ball in like kind of on that fifth second. And and often when you take a little while to inbound the ball, it, it can throw off your rhythm a little bit, can't it? And you're just a little bit more panicked. And it, oh, obviously it's bad enough when you're trying to tie a game. But when you're worried about getting that inbounds in, they got what they wanted with, with Shu right at the top, basically at the three-point line. So it gave her the driving lane she needed. And that was the way to beat them is to draw out Shu and then try and try and take it by her. But yeah, it just didn't come off. And that's why I think the decision to not play Lauren Jackson, because you know all the bigs were shooting terribly in that game. So you have someone like Jackson who can potentially stretch the floor a little bit and all of a sudden Shu has to make a decision. She either comes out and gets burned or she sits back and lives and dies by what Jackson shoots from the outside. And I just, I honestly think it was a, a really huge opportunity wasted. And look, don't get me wrong. Absolute credit to China. They played you know, as smart as they could. Oh, of course. Very good team. Yeah. Shu was dominant. 19 points, 11 boards, five blocks. 
But yeah, just it did. It really felt like a wasted opportunity, unfortunately. And what can you do? You you sort of have to then back it up 13 hours later against Canada. And going into the game, yeah, you expect that you should win that. But there's obviously that concern that, well, we've just sort of blown a, a really golden opportunity. How tired are the girls going to be? And how then, sad. Yeah. How these, these short turnarounds are so annoying, aren't they? I think it was even less when you consider the warm down and everything. I think it was actually less than 12 hours. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, it was actually their third game in 41 hours. Yeah. And their eighth game in 10 days. So, yeah, whoever did the scheduling for this, I mean, it was an absolute joke, quite frankly. It, it's madness because you want the finals to be well contested. You want them to have some level of, of rest. It's just, yeah, it's a shame. But thankfully, Lauren Jackson had rest. So I guess maybe the the positive about her not playing against China was that she came out and had this ridiculous turn back the clock sort of moment against uh, Canada and 30 points, 11 of 16 from the field, seven boards in 21 minutes. Build the woman a statue, honestly. Does she have a statue yet? Honestly, build her a statue outside the MCG, like with all the other sporting legends. What a performance. She's had a knee replacement. She's had a couple of kids. She's been out of the game for a few years. She's now a couple of years past 40, I think. Incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. It just it got to the point where you could just see Canada had no answer for her. Nobody could go with her. If they managed to stop her, they were fouling her, sending her to the free throw line. She just yeah couldn't be stopped. I mean, look, Kia Nurse played really well for Canada. She did everything she could to match Jackson, but just too much for the Aussies and a very, very comfortable win in the end. And look, a great way to send Lauren on the, uh, you know, on her way into retirement for the second time and possibly the last. One last thing on this, though, did want to give a massive shout out to the fans in Sydney for making this so successful. Crowds were electric right through, especially in the finals. I think I heard somewhere around 15,000 at the gold medal game. Really, really great to see that support for the women's game. I think it helped that China were playing because they were very well represented with the crowds, weren't they? They were. They were. But the gold medal game, as I say, I mean, I know China was in that as well, but it's great to see, I guess, two well, two of the non-hosting nations, albeit there's a huge population of, of sort of Chinese in Sydney, and obviously there's a lot of Americans as well, but it's just so great to see. Absolutely. So here we are with part two of our NBL season preview. Unfortunately, as we mentioned last week, our schedules meant that we couldn't do a full preview prior to the season. So yes, week one is now in the rearview mirror, but it's actually given us a chance to see the teams play in much more competitive environments than the Blitz. Obviously, we encourage you to check it out in episode 120 if you haven't already, but here's a bit of a taste. Well, let's take a quick second, Nate, because there have been three new rules, and usually when we talk about new rules, the first thing you and I do is poo-poo the lot of them. <laughs> We've also had some coach turnover too. Few will be shedding too many tears with the departures of Dan Shamir and Koskomo on either side of the competition geographically, but the departure of Brian Gorgian always leaves a massive gap. In case you're not keeping track, I've just named every team in the league. So yes, only three imports remain from last season, and one of them's rumoured to get citizenship soon. Oh, Will Mitow White for sure. I, I think this is going to be a really, really interesting season for him. He has basically, as we've all heard, been given the keys to the entire team. How the fuck did the person doing the fixtures not give New Zealand a home game in round one? When, when you're getting 14 home games, oh, seven. It feels very low, very low. The way that Brisbane finish up comes down to how many games they get out of Baines, Tyler Johnson, and Nathan Sobey. And the reason I say that, 
Baines hasn't played professionally since the Olympics. He's missed 31, 40, and 29 games in his last three NBA seasons. But before we get there, Stewie, we've got to talk about the biggest news in Australian basketball in a long time, maybe top five ever. Adelaide 36ers went into Phoenix and beat them by 10. Yep. Absolute boil over. First ever win by an Australian team over an NBA team. Not only that, they do it by putting up 134 points and going ballistic from downtown, 24 from 43. You always talk about the burden of expectation, Nath. This was a team that had nothing to lose and will probably have nothing to lose really against OKC when they play them next as well. Yes, well, we'll get there in a sec, but uh, we've got to talk about this game a bit first. I mean, my goodness. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like It was a good tune-up for Phoenix in the sense that Adelaide, I think, had more to play for and the players had more to play for. And, geez, a lot of guys put up their hands for some NBA contracts, didn't they? Well, actually, Nath, I want to take you back a week to a comment you made about the 36ers when we did our preview last week. I would just be worried if I'm an Adelaide fan that they play too well in those games and that the NBA scouts start picking at the imports before they even get to play a game in the NBL for the Sixers. But we'll see. That's a good point. And it's not even just the imports, is it? McCarron played well, and and a lot of people are saying Daniel Johnson deserves a gig too. Now, I'm not convinced about that myself, but wow, across the board, just incredible, incredible. My, my jaw is still slightly on the floor. We should probably see a doctor about that. That's probably not healthy. <laughs> but no, let's, let's talk about this. So Craig Randall, 35 points, nine three-pointers, was just on fire. I mean, he's a guy from Arizona, so it's an area he feels comfortable with. He had family in the stands. That's that's all good. Robert Franks, though, 32 points, six threes. Antonius Cleveland played fairly well. As you said, Mitch McCarron, I mean, we, I talked about Mitch McCarron probably last season, sort of saying he was amazing on those Melbourne United teams that were stacked offensively. And as soon as he is surrounded by studs and can facilitate, he becomes one of these top-tier point guards in the league. But when he had to do it himself last year, he struggled. Mm. So it's it's kind of that's kind of proven what I said to be true, that he's surrounded by these great players. And all of a sudden, yeah, 16 dimes, looks an absolute beast. Should have actually been 17. Tory Craig took one off the rim that was still rolling around and had it had decent backspin, it, it probably would have dropped. So, so he should have had 17 assists and Cleveland should have had another two. There you go. I'd say I missed that part. There you go. Third quarter from memory, that was. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, going back to Randall and Franks, I mean, there's already talk that NBA teams are scratching around Randall. Franks, I'm, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't getting calls before they came home as well. So it's it's funny. There was a tweet from Jared Sullinger. He said, you're going to realize it's pros everywhere. It's just approximately 450 NBA roster spots with the shrug emoji. And it's so true. There are so many guys out there that really deserve a shot, but there's only so many spots that can make up the NBA, really. I, I think it was great to see there were so many NBA players tweeting about it. It got a lot of coverage from a lot of significant people, which was really cool. Randall, I suspect, is going to be really streaky. So when he's on, he's going to be magnificent. But he will have nights where he goes one for 10 from beyond the arc, I'm sure. But that's if he even gets a game in the NBA, as you say, because apparently 10 different teams have offered him a contract or at, at least interested in having him join their team. And look, at the end of the day, that is the goal for players like him. Get over there, make your minimum half million to a million, do your thing. And look, even if he ends up playing a decent amount in the G League, which he did last year, he's 
you know, he's an amazing player. He's going to get a call up at some stage. It's uh, almost scary times for Adelaide. And we, we kind of almost, I guess, have to make our predictions for the season, just assuming that they stay. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Another interesting thing for me was Robert Franks. He was almost playing like a small forward. It's like he's trying to get himself a small forward kind of stretch four gig in the NBA. Obviously, he's playing center over here, but I don't know. It was almost, I don't know. Did you did you think that as well? Yeah, I mean, when you've got the range that Franks has, it kind of makes sense. He's sort of almost in that Vic Law sort of uh, yeah sort of role, I guess. It, it makes sense. I mean, if he's playing in the NBA, he's going to be a guy who'll play the three. He's too short, really, to be a four. So, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. And Randall, man, he was like two metres from beyond the arc at times. It was just incredible, wasn't it? And I think I heard on SEN today, it was only four teams have shot that high in the history of the NBA, even including uh, pre-seasons and stuff, I think is what Andrew Gaze said. So they picked a good time to to have a very good game. And, and yes, we probably need to call the Jets a little bit like an NBL team could not keep up with even the worst NBA teams regularly. But on their night, hey, anything can happen, can't it? Well, what is it you always say, Nate? There's a reason they play the games. There is a reason they play the games. Now, look, we do need to ask the question, how much of this can be put down to the preseason and the fact the starters only played 22 minutes? Now, yes, there were starters playing, I think, as late as about four minutes left in the third. But they did only play 22 minutes, which is basically half a game, a little bit less. And part two, how much of it can be put down to the Robert Sava saga too? Because obviously a lot's been going on in Phoenix at the moment. There's a number of players that aren't happy. Some of them are wanting to leave already. So it hasn't been a great offseason for the Suns. Well, it hasn't. And it's probably something that we should have actually talked about. This whole thing just sort of blew up, I guess, in between when we were doing our, our recording last week and the previous one that we did. And yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously it's a distraction. It's kind of similar to the Sterling thing in the in the Clippers camp a few years back. And it, it is, yeah, look, it's got to be a distraction. There's no two ways about it. But you're right. Like the, the stars all did play decent minutes, and, and the guys off the bench are good players, like Campaign, Jock Landau, Tory Craig. Like these these guys are all guys that have had you know, pretty decent times in the NBA. So it's not like the guys on the bench are scrubs. No, I mean, yeah, Phoenix have been a number one seed or close to the last couple of years. So so absolutely. And I think that's maybe where a lot of these NBL players are looking at trying to steal the bench roles of existing NBA players, I guess. Jock Landau was excellent though, wasn't he? And I've said for years that he should be in the NBA. He got there a couple of years too late, in my opinion. I think he should have been... I'm sure a team could have had use for him at, at least two, maybe even three years prior to when he got there. But I'm glad to see him there now. And he was a great on the offensive boards. I thought he played really well. Yeah. And it's also worth mentioning a really key piece to the team last year, Jay Crowder, not with the team as they're trying to facilitate a trade to get him out of there. Yes, but, as yeah, I alluded to. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like Josh Kogi didn't play. Dario Saric didn't play. Timothy Luwalo Cabro. They had a lot of guys on the bench that weren't able to play. So, look, it's we've got to take it for what it is. It's an amazing moment for the NBL, but there's also some other little bits and pieces you can look at that you could maybe say, look, if Phoenix played their starters 35, 40 minutes, maybe the result goes the other way. It's hard to know. No, I think, I think if Phoenix play their starters longer that they do still win the game and they should, because they're an NBA team with a payroll hundred percent more than, than the payroll of the 36ers. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It was like 167 million to 1.7 or something. So, yeah, 100 times the the amount of money. Look, 
take it for what it is. As I said, it's an amazing moment and something that definitely will be celebrated for a long time to go. Oh, it's fantastic. It's going to be really interesting to see how Adelaide back up from this because they're playing next Thursday. They've got Illawarra and Tassie, so they've got a couple of easier teams. Not completely easy, obviously. No game in the NBL is going to be easy, but I think they'd be glad that they're playing them rather than Perth and Sydney, for example. Yeah, you would think so, definitely. Long way home. It's going to be really interesting to see how this does affect the start of their season because it takes me back to something that Peter Hawley said in episode 104. Came back to Melbourne and they were, when we got told we were going to play two, uh, it was kind of, it, it sounds exciting, but as a team in, in a preseason, we were all just thinking it was like two. It was like, it, it's, it's kind of a lot when you're trying to get ready for a season, you're trying to win a title again. Now, I've just got to finish talking about this game saying Kai Soto looked really good. He he impressed. Oh, I, I love the kid, honestly. Like, shout out to all of the Filipino supporters that we have. But uh, no, honestly, looks kid looks great. Jump shots continuing to develop. I, I honestly believe he belongs in the NBA. Uh, I will hang my hat on that. He may not necessarily have all of the skills and he's going to be a little bit raw. But yeah, I love the way the kid plays. Oh, I agree. He's the sort of player that the NBA is looking for these days. I do think he declared one year too early. I think this is the season he should have been declaring for the draft. Okay, that's in the rearview mirror now. But he's got all the tools. And he threw a lovely little backdoor pass to a cutting Antonius Cleveland too. He can pass the ball. He's got a lot of... It it comes back to these players that we've talked about previously, like Josh Giddy and stuff. These guys that have skills that you can't teach. These just inherent skills. And I think that's going to put him in good stead He's looking a bit bulkier now too. So I think that he will get his opportunity. It's just it's just going to come down to what he makes of it. But I do think an NBA team at some point will give him a chance. And, and I look forward to it because I, I want to see him succeed too. Mm. Oh, he seems like a good kid. Now, one last little tidbit I do have to mention before we wrap up this part of the uh, the basketball. This was the first time Jock Landau has ever lost to the 36ers. And of course he does it with an NBA team. Absolutely ridiculous. Thank you to NBL Facts on Twitter for that one. Yeah, I heard that one recently as well. I can't remember where it was. It Liam Santa Maria or something. Yeah, that was that was bizarre, wasn't it? It takes an NBA team for him to lose to Adelaide. Mm, crazy. So, Stewie, time to look at the last six teams or the top six teams from last season. I guess now that we've got round one in the rearview mirror, Adelaide played as well, albeit against an NBA team. Any round one overreactions about the teams we talked about last week, New Zealand, Cairns, Brisbane or Adelaide? Yep, Cairns for the championship. <laughs> no, obviously. Look, it's... Uh... <laughs> the chasm between our bold predictions for Cairns last week was pretty big. <laughs> oh, look, don't get me wrong. I still don't have them making the top four, but they looked certainly a lot better than I thought they would look. And Tassie looked worse than I thought they would look as well. I don't think there was really any major revelations to be had though i mean the the teams that won were the teams i was expecting to win yeah just a a good fun first round though and we will get to tassie we'll uh, go from reverse order you're absolutely right though it was a very fun first round we've already had an overtime match we had a couple of other closer matches and a couple of matches that were closer than i expected sydney and illawarra for example as you mentioned at the top i didn't expect it illawarra really competed well but let's start with southeast melbourne last season they finished in sixth place on 15 and 13 What do you reckon about the Phoenix? Yeah, I kind of like them. They're they're one of those teams where we still don't really know exactly what they're going to be. They played their first game without two of their three imports. Brian Brokoff still isn't playing as well. So it's still hard to know. And and I guess the fact that they got a win was really, really important. Guys stepped up. Kyle Adam had a, a career high with 30. 
We saw a pretty <laughs> decent start from Big Source Alan Williams. Like there's yeah, it's it, it was an interesting start with them, and we still don't really know what they're going to be. In last year's preview show, when we did it with the Pocket Podcast guys, and shout out to them, by the way, thanks for the shout out in their preview show. They did ask if we could join themselves and Woody. Unfortunately, it was when we were recording our show, so we couldn't join them. Hopefully, we'll join them again soon. But if you recall, I said Kyle Adnam has probably reached his ceiling, and that was in the forefront of my mind when he played that game, because crikey, that's almost the best game he's ever played in the NBL, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, he probably had to, really, when you think about it. Gary Brown didn't play, so there was obviously the pressure on him to step up and be that sort of starting point guard. I must admit, when I saw their starting five, I was thinking, oh, this could really be a tricky one for them. But I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, they've still got Mitch Creek. Alan Williams, as I say, he started off beast mode, kind of faded a little bit as the game went on, but that was sort of more as Adnam and Creek kind of, you know, moved to the forefront, I guess. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where we'll probably know a lot more about this team maybe in about two or three weeks, and we definitely don't want to overreact after one game. But I think the Brown signing, that's the one that's interesting to me. It's funny you say that, Stewie, because Gary Brown was my player I was most looking forward to. And my burning question was, have the Phoenix done enough in the offseason? I found this to be the hardest team to predict. They could be a top four team, but they could also easily finish eighth. Like, I'm finding them really hard to work out, to be honest. I'm not sure they'll drop as far as eight. I think you're right. Anywhere between four and six probably sounds about right for me. I'm not sure they'll go lower than that. The reason I find Brown interesting, though, is just because when you look at the league as a whole, it's kind of moving away a little bit from these really short guards. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to that. Bryce Cotton, Derek Walton Jr., as well as a six-footer. But if you look at both of those guys, I mean, Bryce Cotton, obviously, has been a high-end scorer for years in the league. And then Walton's kind of that little bit chunkier, a little bit more of like a Baron Davis sort of size. But then if you look at the rest of the teams, you know, Rajon Tucker, Tyler Johnson, Mitch McCarron, Tajir McCall, they're all 6'3", 6'4", plus. So... I guess for me, I look at it and say Brown's kind of going to have to be special to really work in this league. And if you look at guys like Kiefer Sykes and Robeson, yeah, they were good players, but they never set the league on fire to that sort of all-NBL level for me. And if Bryce Cotton's getting 12 rebounds as a six-footer, imagine what he'd get if he was a (laughs) seven-footer. Very, very true. The guy that really interests me, though, in terms of the player I'm most looking forward to is Trey Kell. Really, really nice stroke on the guy. Good size. He could be a, a real good mixture of inside out. Three of the last four teams he's played on, he shot 38.5% or higher from three. So he's clearly a guy that can shoot at a high clip. And I think he's going to fit in quite well with this team. The issue I have, though, with Southeast Melbourne is the bench. And I'll ask you what your thoughts are on their bench. Yeah, well, Tarangi's he was okay on the weekend, but we've been pretty critical of him the last couple of seasons. You can't imagine Adnan will keep that up. So they've got an all-import backcourt when they're all healthy. Brokoff was a bit disappointing last season, though I do expect him to bounce back and he should be a starter too. As I say, I just found this team really hard to place. They could go either way. They really could. I think Brown is the key. I think if Brown plays really well, then they'll be in that finals contention. If he's a bit of a disappointment, then, then I think they'll struggle. I agree entirely. I think for the most part, we know what we're going to get with Alan Williams. We probably know what we're going to get with Trey Kell. I think Brown is very much the big question mark. I couldn't agree more with you. The one thing I guess that we have to talk about and my burning question for this team, whose idea was it to bring back Joe Chi? It's so funny you say that, Stewie. So when we were in Victoria recently, we went down to Frankston to visit my girlfriend's family and went down to Mornington, beautiful part of the world. Absolutely loved it. But there was this big Southeast Melbourne Phoenix picture and it had Joe Chi on it. And I thought, oh, 
they must have paid that for a certain amount of time because they haven't ripped it down. But someone must have known something that I didn't because sure enough, he's back on the team again. So they didn't need to rip it down. I actually don't mind him. I think he can be a handy player. You can't obviously rely on him to do a hell of a lot, but I think he could be a decent piece and could still do some good things in this league. I'm a little bit higher on him than you are, I think. The main positive I can sort of see with him bringing him back is if he's agreed to a bench role, because if you have him in a starting five, he's going to be going against the higher end sort of quality big men in the league. And we saw what happens. They involve him in pick and rolls. He's always in drop coverage. He's never able to get up to shooters. And, you know, someone's going to break his ankles basically. But if he's going against the secondary guys, he'll be okay. He'll be fine. But yeah, just worry. Unless he's willing to come off the bench, I don't think this was a good idea. You're right, though. The hard shows on the on the high screens are going to be an issue for him. So they just need to work out their defensive strategy to ensure that he's as close to the rim as possible at all times. So they've got to switch. And yeah, I think he can still be handy. But yes, you, you can't rely on him to be a star or anything like that. My other question, should Mitch Creek have been teed up for the peroxide look? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think he might be the only one who thinks that's a good haircut. <laughs> It's kind of like circa 2001, isn't it? Oh, should have stayed there, quite frankly. Anyway, moving on. Now, it's our Perth Wildcats. Last season was very unusual. Fifth place finished 16 and 12. Still a good record. I'll tell you what, looked pretty bloody good against Brisbane. Slow start. Spotted them an 11-point lead. But, geez, after that, it was all Wildcats. Yeah, look, this is a big year for Perth. There's no excuses, not just for the players, but also for the management. I think they've rebuilt the squad really well and they've brought in a coach that kind of reflect more the sort of Wildcats teams that we're used to seeing. For me, the guys kind of seem to be more all about the team, whereas last year it was kind of all iso ball, shooting a lot of threes. So yeah, it's an exciting start. I mean, 24 assists on 32 field goals is a very refreshing sort of look for this team. I don't know. What did you make of the team from what you saw? Oh, well, it's clear that Bryce is is out for blood. And that was kind of one of the key themes of the offseason. A lot of people were saying Bryce will be back to his best. He's not wearing a bandage on his hand anymore. <laughs> he played spectacularly well. 23 points, 6 assists, 6 steals, 12 rebounds. Just played superbly well. Passed the ball well too. Already has better chemistry with to Sean Thomas than he ever had with Vic Law, I feel like. I'm a big fan yeah. of Sean Thomas. He's an excellent passer. They're, they're going to be a really fun passing team because Travers is an excellent passer too. Bryce Cotton, we know. Jesse Wagstaff's no slouch. So I, I'm going to love to see Thomas in some of those high post actions, getting guys back door. I think it's going to be an exciting team. I think Perth uh, definitely have to be one of the championship favourites. Travers looked really good. He took it to the rack more. He was more aggressive. He wasn't settling for that three. Played good defense, grabbed rebounds as he always does. So I'm pretty bullish on this Perth team now. After kind of thinking the streak would end for, what, the last four seasons in a row, we've been doom and gloom. I'm now feeling pretty confident about this Wildcats team. Manic is maybe the one kind of, eh. And going against some of the big teams, you worry a little bit. But, hey, they had Baines, so managed him pretty well. Yeah, look, I think you've kind of touched on a lot of the key points that I had here. I, I will definitely echo your sentiment. I love the look of Tashawn Thomas. And it's interesting that the first thing you mentioned was the passing. He had a couple of guys in the corner and on the wing right from that post and absolutely on point. So, yeah, it's it's great to see a big guy who is really thinking team first. Definitely Manic, I think, was, I don't know what the word is, laconic, lackluster, just a little bit too much of a focus on the three but his shot does look really nice. And even the ones that he missed, they looked really nice off the hand. So 
I don't know, maybe it was just kind of first game nerves, but we'll, we'll see. And I guess following on from that, that's actually bringing me to my burning question for this team. The guy is a cult figure already, but what sort of leash does he get before, you know, they, they start potentially looking at, at him? Is he a guy that's just going to be here all season no matter what happens? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, that ties into my burning question, Stewie, because if Bryce is getting his citizenship like is rumoured in the next couple of months, even if Manic doesn't play spectacularly well, they can get another import in anyway. So maybe they can hold on to him. I don't know if it's going to be a money thing. They might decide, I mean, oh, do you want to bring in two new guys? But it, it it's probably a nice problem to have. It is. And I guess it all depends on when that citizenship goes through. If it goes through late in the season, then obviously we're, we're kind of up against it. But if they can push the, the paperwork through a little bit quicker, maybe give us enough time to potentially integrate one or two other players. Look, I hope Manic comes good. I like the guy. I love what he did for North Carolina. He was just about their best player in the championship game. So, yeah, we know what he can do. And he hustles. So, yeah. Hmm. I would still say I'd love to see Corey Shervel and Ollie Hayes-Brown getting action. I know the season is very, very young, but you know I just loved even if you find a few minutes for these guys in a second quarter or early in a third or whatever, I, I just think it's important to get these guys a little bit of playing time. Yes, well, there's a bit of an odd man out, I reckon. Toddy Blanchfield, and now he's got himself injured too. So apparently really made jokes about a coin flip, and that's why he started over Travers. But I don't know. He he kind of felt like the odd man out a little bit on this team. And and as I say, now that he's coming back from injury, it's going to be really interesting to see where he fits in the rotation. I actually prefer Blanchfield starting, to be honest, because when you look at it, he'll be then playing with Bryce Cotton, playing with Thomas, playing with guys that can make plays. Whereas if he's coming off the bench and he's relying on guys like a Kyle Zunich or, I mean, okay, Cotton's going to play a lot of minutes. I get that. But I don't know. I just, I don't mind the idea of Travers being sort of the main guy on that second team and, and I guess setting up the likes of Jesse Wagstaff and Corey Webster and those sorts of guys. Webster look good. Who are you most looking forward to see? It's no surprise. It's Travers for me. Big fan. Sang his praises a lot. Love watching the guy yeah. play. Yeah, well, I mean, I know it should be Travis for me, but it's actually Corey Webster, funnily enough. I can scarcely remember the Wildcats having a real microwave guy off the bench, certainly not for a while. And yeah, second team role is perfect for him. Really, really solid start in the game over the weekend. Hit some shots early when the Cats were struggling a little bit offensively as well. So I really, really love the addition of Webster. I know a lot of people were critical of bringing him in, saying he's you know this black hole or whatever you want to call him. But I just, I really love him on the team. I think he's great. Next, we have the Illawarra Hawks. Last season, they finished 19-9. and They were second seed, but they were swept by the eventual champions. The player I'm most looking forward to seeing on this team is Tyler Harvey, Stewie, but not for the right reasons. And I know you love teeing off on him, so I'll allow you to do so. Are you looking forward to seeing him on the way out? <laughs> well, I'm most looking forward to seeing how he'll go because since he signed that three-year contract, he's been a shadow of his former self, and he's going to be so important to that team. So important. It's the Machado effect. And I've seen this kind of doing the rounds where yep. guys sign that long-term contract, have a really good first year, and then it all just goes downhill. And I do, I feel bad for Jacob Jacomas. Like if you've got Tyler Harvey and Justin Robinson as your guys, then it doesn't look great. You know, 11 of 39 from the field combined against the Kings, one of 16 from three. That's the big issue. Woeful. Absolutely woeful. And they're basically the same player. That's the issue I have as well. Like, they're both guys that are going to try and shoot their way out of a slump. 
and neither of these guys are really legitimate knockdown shooters. If you look at their statistics over their careers, I mean, Robinson's a career 31% field goal shooter. He only shoots 53% from the line for God's sake. And I mean, everyone knows my thoughts on Tyler Harvey. Yeah. He has never seen a shot. He doesn't like, and it was just the more of the same against the Kings. The thing that frustrates me, though, Stewie, is that he's so quick, Tyler Harvey. He can get to the rack with ease. Take it to the rack and draw fouls and get to the line. Why settle? We know he's got this great floater game. We talk about it all the time. Uh, oh, it must be frustrating as an Illawarra fan, I've got to say. Even then, like the floater game kind of seems like it's on the decline as well. So I know we sort of spoke earlier about the fact that Illawarra managed to play Sydney quite close. If you look at it, though, it really all just came down to sort of Lockie Dent and a little bit of George King. Like King looked really good. I think they should run the offense through more. But, I mean, Lockie Dent, 19 points on 7 of 7 shooting in 15 minutes. And Jacobus basically had to put him back in in the fourth quarter. So if you kind of look at that and say that might be a bit of an outlier, it creates a big problem for this Illawarra team. I don't know. I, I just don't think they're going to be a decent defensive team in the slightest which is where they kind of they hung their hat the last couple of years on being able to keep teams in the 70s and the, the low 80s but i mean sydney just ran up what they run up 106 on them yeah i this is another game i saw and there wasn't as much defense played as as maybe there should have been which gets me to my question how much will they regret letting antonius cleveland go because he's a defensive juggernaut Oh, massively. I mean, if you're replacing him with Robinson, who really, from what I've seen so far, ugh, not great. It's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big issue. But again, sometimes you've got to spend the money. And if Illawarra didn't want to spend the money or didn't have the money to spend, then they've kind of you know dug their own grave on it. Next, we have Melbourne United. They finished twenty and eight, which actually had them in the first seed, but they lost to the eventual runner-up two-one, the Tassie Jack Jumpers, of course. What are your thoughts on the Melbourne team? Oh, it's such an interesting one, this. I think before the season, I had very, very high hopes for United. The Ariel Huck-Porty injury is massive. It's so, so big. I mean, he just looked like an absolute beast ready to be unleashed this season. And all of a sudden, without him, they look a little bit depleted, quite frankly. I'm gutted that he got injured. Absolutely gutted. I actually thought he could have declared for the draft last season. I think he might have even been a, a first-round pick. I was so looking forward to him playing. He was he was the player I was looking forward to seeing. Now, I had to change that to Isaac Humphreys now. And, gee, there was a lot of pressure on that man's shoulder because for a bloke that is known to be made of glass a little bit and has struggled with health, oh, gee, the margin for error is small. And I do like David Aquera, but they're not going to get a hell of a lot out of him. And I'm iffy about Caroline too. So I do worry about their big stocks now a lot. Yeah, I mean, Caroline obviously really lackluster over the weekend two points on one of 10 all the highlights i'm seeing from him online are from a taiwanese league that's not even a top five league in asia so it's an interesting one he's a bit undersized for a big not probably a good enough shooter for a, a vic law robert franks type of sort of player i think a lot is going to just come down to the backcourt play xavier rathan mays was electric over oh, the weekend wasn't he, he uh, he's already played more Good games with Melbourne than he did with Illawarra. He wasn't bad with Illawarra, but he was magnificent in that overtime game. Wow. He was. A little bit lucky. One of those threes in overtime shouldn't have counted. But look, he played really well. Golding started well. Okay, not an amazing start shooting the ball for Rajon Tucker, but I think he'll be just fine. So, yeah, I, I just I think there's going to be so much pressure on that starting backcourt for them. And if those three guys maybe don't step up, because if you look at it, it's the same issue as with all these other teams. Their bench is just hideous. 
Like Aquera, yeah, as you said, he's going to have a lot more responsibility, but he's barely played in the league. Lockie Barker is going to be expected to put up numbers. David Barlow and Brad Newley probably won't be allowed out for the late games from the retirement village. It's <laughs> like there's, there's just nothing there. Speaking of, you've reminded me, Tim Conrad's still playing for Illawarra. Like how long yep. ago did he retire? It's going to get to the point where he's played more games post-retirement announcement than it was pre-retirement announcement. <laughs> but yeah, you're probably. right. They're old. They are old. Yeah, I, I just don't buy their bench doing enough. Uh, I mean, I think their bench had maybe 18 points over the weekend, but nine of those were from Barlow, and I don't think you can get nine out of him every night. And Illy's injured for a little while too. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Now, my I've just looked at my notes again. So the player I was most looking forward to was actually Ray John Tucker, and my burning question was about Isaac Humphreys. How important is he to this team's success? Hopefully not a lot. Hmm. <laughs> because obviously the the big concern and look maybe this is the season where we get that steak dinner <laughs> I, I don't know I've, I've got a suspicion that it probably won't be but uh you know joseph's sort of had that steak dinner up now for a couple of seasons i'm not sure if he's offering it this season but look <laughs> e- expecting humphreys to play big 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 minutes in a number of games it's yeah, it's worrying. As I say, like if he's the guy that we're relying on for a team to be successful, then uh, ugh, it worries me. They'll still be fun to watch, though. Obviously, Golding's always fun to watch, and Ray John Tucker's very athletic. So, so it it will still be a fun team to watch. But I do worry a little bit about their big stocks. Just on Humphreys as well. What did you make of that fifteen hundred dollar fine for saying? And I quote: "I've played in the NBL for a few years now, and I'll just quickly pause that quote for a second. No, you haven't." You've played 25 games in two seasons. You basically <laughs> watched from the sidelines for a few years. Anyway. Oh, yes. Just, good but point. he continues. And look, the NBL refs are, I don't want to talk bad on them, but they're not great. $1,500 fine for that. Yeah, it's kind of a no-go zone. Uh, the smart players will always say, I don't want to get fined. The smart coaches will always say, I'm not answering that question. I don't want to get fined. So look, it's chump change really too, isn't it? For an NBL well, player. Well, it is. So. Because like, if you look back last year, Chase Buford had that horrible call about hoping that Chris Reed wouldn't officiate their playoff games. He cops a $10,000 fine for that. I don't think there's that much of a difference between what he said and what Humphreys has said. Oh, but the mm, fine, singling, well, uh, singling someone out versus being broad is a fairly big difference, I would argue. But it's nearly seven times the fine. Are you saying yeah, that's oh, seven yeah, times yeah. worse? Like, it's, I don't know. I think the fine should have been at, at least half of what Buford copped. Speaking of which, in Adelaide, Deng was a bit uncouth, wasn't he? He's been banned for betting by, for one game too. Yeah, you bet. Uh, next, we have the Tassie Jack Jumpers. They were runner-up, of course, albeit in fourth seed at a record of 17 and 11. Well, we've seen a little bit of the new-look Jack Jumpers, and I have to say this, they kept the wrong import. Yeah. I, we always were pretty consistent that we preferred Adams to Majet. The thing is, though... It's got to have been off-court stuff. It's got to be a chemistry thing, surely, because he claims that he wanted to come back. Scott Roth is clearly a big culture guy and building a winning culture and building a good culture. So I agree, but it's got to be more than than just the, the on-court stuff, surely, right? Surely. Absolutely. I mean, you can't build a winning culture if Josh Majet's your guy. Like, it, it's, it's honestly, it's like nobody's noticed how crappy he is at shooting the ball. 3 of 11 versus Southeast Melbourne over the weekend, plus minus of negative 10. 1 of 6 against Cairns and a negative 15. The guy was 34.7% from the field last season, subpar from the free throw line. He doesn't even get into the paint for kickouts. Like, he doesn't get anywhere with the ball. I, I just, 
I don't understand how he can be a starting point guard in this league. Yeah, that's what bothers me too. I agree. If he drove and dished more often, he'd be getting eight assists a game, surely, easily. But he, he relies on that three and often two metres behind the line as well, far too often. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I've, I've never been a massive fan of his. And Andrew Canyon, again, was bang on all the way back to preseason last season when he said he's not a good decision maker. As a point guard, you need to be a better decision maker. Yeah, I, I just honestly, I can't see a team, certainly with him as sort of the main guy, but without that alpha that they had with Adams last year. I mean, look, the other imports, they've got Milton Doyle and Rashad Kelly. They're not as dynamic as Josh Adams. They're definitely not having the same sort of shot-making ability. I like them in a pick-and-roll together. They actually had some really good moments in that Southeast Melbourne game in the pick-and-roll, and I think that's actually their best shot of scoring enough points to stay in games, quite frankly. And that probably takes me to my bold prediction, Stewie. Tassie will replace at least one import this season, and it might not be who you think. Oh, yeah? Which one have you got? Well, Majet, mate. He will be on you, the hot oh, seat. You think, you think he'll go, yeah? Well, I don't know if he'll go, but he'll be on the hot seat. He will. I can almost guarantee. I mean, he has to be already. I mean, he's had a, a pretty average start. And, and it's tricky as well because you've obviously you've got what they've done over the weekend. Will Magne can't get on the floor. Clint Steindl can't stay on the floor. Like, there's real issues with this team. And, and obviously, they overachieved massively. But we say this all the time. You can sneak up on the league for one season. The Jackies might stay in games, but I, I don't know. I can't see them being far off the bottom of the ladder this season. Well, to use another Nathism, burden of expectation. You're absolutely right. The Hunters become the hunted. And you're right. They're not going to sneak up on teams. I really worry about their big stocks too. I worry about Will Magnay. I don't know if he'll ever live up to the potential that he's shown Look, I still think they can compete. I still think they can finish in the top six, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they don't. My bold prediction, Will Magno plays less than five games. Wow, yeah, well, look, <laughs> runs on the board in the wrong way, I guess. And then finally, last year's defending champions, the third seed, they finished 19-9, and nine, the Sydney Kings. And, well, as we said, we're a bit surprised that Illawarra maybe played them harder than we thought they would, but they did get the win in the end. And my goodness, Derek Walton Jr. looks good, doesn't he? Yeah, he looks like a very, very early favourite for MVP, obviously. Look, I think the thing with Sydney, we know what we're going to get. It's an away game. Away games are always trickier. You've got three new imports. So there's there's still going to be a little bit of chemistry that they're sort of working on. But look, this team's going to be absolutely fine. As we said, Walton Jr. looks spectacular. Xavier Cooks looks probably even more comfortable than ever, aside from the foul line. And Justin Simon's exactly how we remembered him. So, Well, I don't know that he is, Chewy. He looks taller. Is it the pinstripes? I thought he looked taller in a Kings jersey. It's funny how <laughs> players look different in different jerseys, hey? I, honestly. Right, maybe, he... maybe, maybe not physically then. He, he's... Playing-wise, is how we remember him. Well, I, I thought he looked better offensively too. He was always a defensive beast, but but I thought he looked much more polished offensively. I mean, maybe it just comes down to the fact that he's surrounded by a lot more talent. I mean, that Illawarra team that he was with wasn't particularly talented, so there was maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe a little bit more pressure on him to do things that he wasn't comfortable doing, and, and maybe he's going to have a, a better role in this Sydney team. Well, he's got more experience now too, playing in the Euroleague as well. So maybe maybe that's mm. what it is. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he looked sharp. And again, like all these other teams, the, the supporting cast, I don't know. What did you make of the bench for Sydney? Look, I'm a massive fan of Angus Glover. I know he's battling injury problems and he does tend to battle injury problems a lot. Kawat Noy, I'm glad they picked him up. 
I think he needed a change of scenery. He looked magnificent a few years ago and then never lived up to his potential. So I'm hopeful that, although he didn't get a lot of minutes at all, actually, in this game. So will he be buried on the bench? I don't know. Big fan of Hunter. Massive fan of Hunter, actually. So he's coming back from injury too, though. I worry about their guard stocks a little bit. If Walton Jr. gets injured, their point guard stocks are a little bit thin. I don't think Vasiljevic is really a point guard. Bruce and Bales, uh, I don't know how much you can get out of them. Maybe you can get a full game out of them each if Walton Jr. was injured. But he's definitely the player I'm most looking forward to. And that's, yeah, I worry about big stocks for a lot of teams. It's maybe the point guard stocks I worry a little bit. But hey, if they stay healthy, that's moot. And that's the thing. If they do stay healthy, they're a team that is definitely a top four sort of team, could potentially make the finals. It just, yeah, it comes down to do they stay healthy? If a Walton or a Xavier Cooks goes down, certainly more so Walton. I mean, obviously, if Cooks goes down, Walton will probably just go nuclear. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a big if. So Walton Jr., Hall's had him listed at number 10 in his preseason rankings. I wonder if he's climbed that a little bit. He did lead the G League in assists last year and had 32-8 and eight on 56% shooting. What a debut. Just fantastic. And I really like the way he controlled the pace of the game. He's got great handles. He makes good decisions with the ball. Big fan of Derek Walton Jr. Yeah, as I said before, he's got that real Baron Davis feel to him. He's a little bit nuggety, you know, quite, quite solid finishes around the rim, really quick moves. And just quickly going back to what you said about Hulls having it at number 10. I mean, that is a, a fool's errand trying to rank oh, players before the season starts. Uh, isn't it just, yeah. You, you can't win. No, no, you really can't. Yeah, but I, I think he can play at different pace. He can go breakneck speed, but he can slow it down. He's very poised. I, I really liked what I saw of him. My burning question is, is this finally the year Xavier Cooks goes to the NBA? <laughs> that is oh that's brilliant my question is do you think xavier cooks will still be in the league by the end of the season so yeah <laughs> i i couldn't agree more i think this is definitely the year whether it's euro league whether he finally gets that look at the nba i i think this has to be the year that he makes the move i really hope he gets a gig in the nba because he, he has a lot of those tools that kind of can be the difference between not making it and making it because he rebounds well he passes well he plays pretty good day I hope he gets a shot. I really do. Yeah, and he's even starting to develop that three-point game as well. Yeah, I, th I think this is the year. My question to you, Nath, do you think that Chase Buford's suit might have been one of the worst outfits the league has seen? <laughs> oh, his dad always had a bit of weird style at times, so uh, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I dare say. And look, I'm no fashionista, but he looked like a cheap insurance salesman, quite frankly. That was, <laughs> uh, that was a horrible suit. Oh, man. So, Nate, just quickly, final four predictions. Who's making the top four for you? Oh, yeah, I forgot we were going to do this. Bloody hell. Okay, so Perth, Sydney and Adelaide, lock. Top three, not necessarily in that order, but they're the lock for the top three. Then it gets really interesting. Then for me, there's a bit of a log jam, four through six, maybe even seven. Melbourne, Brisbane, maybe Southeast Melbourne, maybe Tassie. I still think Cairns could go okay. That fourth spot's really hard to pick. If Huck Porty hadn't got injured, I would have said Melbourne, but crikey, I'm really struggling. What What do you got? I've got Southeast Melbourne, and I, I agree with you entirely. I think Huck Porty would have absolutely had Melbourne in that top four. The reason I picked Southeast Melbourne with zero confidence is just because they got a win. They didn't have two of their three imports. And look, if Brown comes in and is half decent, I think they're a good chance of making that top four. I've got Brisbane and Melbourne United making the play in. 
And there's no disrespect to Cairns. I think they're going to be really fun, and I won't be shocked if they make it. If Brisbane have any sort of injuries, then they probably slot in for Brisbane. But, yeah, it's tough. What a difference a week makes, Stewie. Yeah, exactly. One game. Overreaction, man. <laughs> Come on, Nath. Give us your fourth. Who who have you got? Come on. Adelaide, <sighs> Perth, Sydney, and? Even New Zealand could surprise. I'm not saying they will, but they could. No, not after last season. I'm going to say Brisbane on the assumption that they do maybe get a better input. Okay, cool. There we go. There we go. So, Nate, just a quick follow-up on the Imo Udoka stuff from last week. I read during the week that the owner of the Celtics said, quote, Udoka would be receiving a cut in his salary during his suspension. My question to you, and there has been a little bit more information that's come out. It kind of seems like, from what I'm reading, it started off consensual and then it kind of became less as the relationship kind of fizzed out. So if this is what's happening, my question to you is, why is he receiving a cut that isn't a 100% cut? Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't followed this story as much this week. We kind of start to go into industrial relations law in America a little bit too, which I don't know a hell of a lot about. The whole thing is just, I still feel like there's so much more to come out of this, isn't there? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know what to make of it. Suspended with pay to me just doesn't seem right in this instance. I don't know. Maybe hold the pay somewhere in case it comes out that this didn't actually happen, which I don't honestly believe for a second is the case. I, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right that he's getting paid while all this is going on. And then quickly, I guess a player that you and I are both very interested in as teams who are pretty shit in the NBA, (laughs) the Spurs and Thunder. Don't undersell it, Nate. Don't undersell it. We are both frothing at the opportunity to get this guy. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And I'm fairly confident the Spurs will... I'm very confident, actually. The Spurs will have the worst record in the league, but it's a lottery system, so it doesn't guarantee anything. Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, so exhibition game for him. First game he's played on American soil for Metropolitan's 92 against the G League Ignite team. This was billed as just a matchup between Scoot Henderson and Victor. And I tell you what, it did not disappoint. Did you hear what Victor said about Scoot? Uh, Something along the lines of, if I wasn't born, he would definitely be the number one prospect or something like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mind you, I, I think they've I think they've probably got a pretty good relationship to be honest, but, but it, it was amazing. I mean, I, I got to see fairly extended highlights of this. I know you really struggled to see much of it being at work, but 37 points on 20 shots, 7 of 11 from 3 as well. Like his stroke from beyond the arc is otherworldly. He, he does struggle a little bit at the free throw line though, I will say that, but yeah, I mean he got a chance to show off some of his sort of one dribble moves, pulling up for threes. And then Henderson on the other side, 28 points, nine assists, got to the rim really well. He's got a really tight handle on him as well. We got to see a couple of other guys that we know. Mojave King was with the Ignite side. Hugo Basson's with uh, Metropolitans. Basson was really good, man. 18 points in 25 minutes, had a really great first half. But I guess the question is, how much do we take from a performance like this? Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, those two are already the clear favourites for one and two. Unless catastrophic injury happens, it's going to end up that way. I don't know how much defense was played, but yeah, we already know how how impressive these two are. I think both of us would be happy with either of them. Obviously, we'd prefer Wembenyama. Is he? Do you reckon he's what people thought Ralph Sampson maybe could have been? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe like a new school version of that. Obviously, there wasn't much in the way of three point shooting back yeah, in the mid eighties. But yeah, maybe but I'm drawing a long bow. I know here. what you're saying. No, I know what you're saying though. Like 
I mean, Samson did have pretty decent touch in the mid-range. And I will just say this. I think the Spurs need a point guard more than the Thunder do. So you can have Henderson. We'll have uh, we'll have Wembenyama. How about that? <laughs> like I said, and I'd ca- be happy. Cash I'd considerations ha- as well. I'd be happy with either, but I would prefer Wembenyama, yes. He is otherworldly. No, and he's fair starting enough. to look a bit more toned. He's starting to look a bit less rakey. So, so he's even growing into his body a little bit too. So this guy's going to be scary in three or four years. Absolutely scary. He's already yeah. scary. So he's going to be terrifying. More terrifying than the movie Smile. Oh, geez. Here we go. Really? I don't even know if that's actually terrifying or not, but just because we talked yeah. about it last week. Well, the, the people at the baseball were pretty terrifying. So <laughs> I, I will say this just very quickly, though. He doesn't rebound amazingly well for a guy of his size. Only had four rebounds in 33 minutes. I, I do worry he's maybe falling in love with a three a little bit too much as well, but I mean, we saw the good stuff. Five blocks and a steal. His length is ridiculous. Clearly can score at a high level, so... Let the tank begin. Indeed. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week is something that you alluded to at the top. It is another cheating scandal. Mm. And it takes us to America and the world of competitive fishing and the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Championship in Ohio. So Chase Kaminsky and Jake Runyon looked like they were going to take victory in the event. And for all of those who don't know fishing, these events are generally decided on a weight system by the heaviest catch, which I believe is sometimes based on the heaviest single fish or the total catch. Do not quote me on that. I'm an absolute champion at eating fish, just not at catching them. Anyway. (laughs) Me too. At the weigh-in, tournament director Jason Fisher sensed that something was up and decided to- Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He was called Fisher. Jason Fisher. (laughs) Oh, I love that shit. You can't if, make it up. Imagine if, imagine if his first name was Chase. Chase Fisher. <laughs> anyway, so he's decided that something's got to be up here. He's cut into the fish that Kaminsky and Runyon had presented, only to find that they had been lined with lead weights and extra fillets to bump up the weight. Mm. Now, a lot of competitors have long thought that these two were up to no good after several of their tournament wins, but with $156,000 of prize money up for grabs, it finally boiled over. Now, if you want to hear a bunch of unintelligible sentences interspersed with about 50 or 60 F-bombs across two minutes, I highly recommend checking this out. The other fishermen were, to say the least, livid. They were just calling him every name under the sun. And so we've now had a chess cheating scandal, a poker cheating scandal, and now a fishing cheating scandal, all on top of the Ima Udoka cheating scandal. What is happening in the world right now? Ah, win at all costs, Joey. Win at all costs. I feel like I've got to take this opportunity to make another obscure TV reference. So last week I talked about the show Bottom and everyone should watch it because it's magnificent. Did you ever see a show called Kenny versus Spenny? I know of it, but yeah, never got around to watching it. Okay, so they'd always, it's worth a look. It's pretty funny. They'd always get into these different weird and wonderful competitions. Anyway, there's one where it's who can lose the most weight. And Kenny puts all this stuff in his hair to add to his weight. So puts all this metal and stuff in his hair to add to his weights and then obviously takes it off the minute they do the weigh-in. It just reminded me of these fish. Again, very random and obscure, but I thought I've got to continue with my uh, legacy of random and obscure TV references. That is a very random one, I will say. So to you, Chase Kaminsky and Jake Runyon, for ruining the good name of professional fishing, all I can say is... That's fish for bloody hell, by the way. I thought it was Bloody hell. Yeah, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) Bloody hell. Bloody hell.
Now, very quickly, Shui, we've got to talk about this horrible situation in the NFL, Tua Tungavailoa, with just some really difficult scenes to watch. And look, I know you've suffered pretty bad concussion in your time, so I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah, look, I don't really want to harp on about it again. I mean, I feel like I've talked about this so many times, but it is literally the scariest moment of my life, You know, losing two and a half hours. And look, I don't know what Tua's experience was, but... I think I want to kind of set the scene a little bit for this for people that have missed this. So on Sunday, the 25th of September, the Dolphins have had a 21-19 win over the Bills. Now, Tua has been pushed by linebacker Matt Milano after releasing a throw, falls backwards, hits his head on the turf. He got up, took a handful of steps, and basically fell over. He was that wobbly on his feet. Oh, yeah, very went, wobbly. It was... It was, it was. Ugh, not good. It wasn't. And now he, he went off, missed about three plays, and came back on, led the Dolphins to a win. Then they have another game on Thursday, the 29th in Cincinnati. He was cleared to play. And in the second quarter, Josh Tupo sacked him and slung him to the ground. He's hit his head again. And you could see straight away he wasn't right. Fingers all curled up and what the doctors call posturing. It's a sign of neurological distress and he's barely moving. And it gets stretched off and taken for MRIs and CAT scans. It's not good. Not at all. And, and this was what I was kind of alluding to at the top. So they said that he could play because it was supposedly a neck and back injury and not a head injury. But again, seeing the jelly legs, it was clear it was a head injury. I'm no doctor, but I have eyes. Yeah, it doesn't take much to realize. I think the worst thing about it, though, was after all this came out, Coach Mike McDaniel said, I'm not even really thinking about timetables or anything regarding him as a player right now. It's all about two of the person. A little bit late for that. Yeah, a lot of hollow words from the Dolphins. A lot of hollow words. <laughs> it's just, I've never been a fan of these Thursday night games. They shouldn't happen. There's no way teams should be turning around in four days, even without a concussion, to be honest. Keep it to the weekend, guys, and Monday night. It's it's not good. It's not going to end no. well. There's already another game on the schedule. There's already major issues in the NFL with CTE. Uh, this, is, this is not good. Well, the, the big issue that sort of comes into play with this is the notion of second impact syndrome. And that's a person suffering multiple concussions in a short period of time. And that can lead to potentially life-threatening complications like brain swelling. It's probably one of the most scary things to think about. Any injury that impacts the brain is just, it, it's so crucial that it gets handled. And I guess we've got to look at it. There's multiple people that have let him down in this instance. So you've got the medical staff. They had an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who cleared him, who has basically been fired since then. I'm not sure if he's going to lose his license, but that is just ridiculous that he would pass a guy four days after a concussion. And to be honest, even that's a bit fishy because he probably was under pressure to pass him. And now he's probably been scapegoated. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. You could probably make a case that pretty much the entire medical staff are the guys that should be falling on their swords for it. So, yeah, that that's disgusting. As you mentioned, the, the scheduling, you know, giving Miami a four-day turnaround. Like Cincinnati from Miami, it's not the world's longest flight. It's two and a half hours, but it's the same distance as Miami to San Juan in Puerto Rico. It's about 10 minutes quicker than them flying to freaking Guatemala City. Like it's a long flight on a four-day turnaround, quite frankly. And these, as you say, they shouldn't be allowed. And apparently flying with a concussion is bad too, I've heard. So, but yeah, look, they are, they're, they're, they're there to stay for the meantime. He himself shouldn't have played. No way. No, absolutely not. And look, this is one of these things, the league's been doing a, a lot of work in recent times around head injuries, but I don't think the concussion protocols have caught up yet. And I think this is the sort of thing where, look, if this doesn't create reform, then 
I don't think anything short of Tom Brady is going to do it. Yes, and he's filing divorce papers apparently, but that's another story for another time. Yep, someone else taking a ring from him finally. <laughs> oh, look, he did it to himself. Anyway, that's that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah, so like we say, hopefully they'll finally come to their senses on this stuff, but unfortunately the precedents so far don't suggest that they are. We've talked about the AFL Grand Final and the break before. This is a major reason why I'm very much in favour of the week off before the final because if blokes are under an injury cloud or do have concussion issues, at least they have that extra week off. So I'm glad that they do that in the NFL with the Super Bowl, but I do really worry about these short turnarounds. Mm, No, it's not not right. So no, crazy random stat that I saw on Stat News the other day just to kind of round this out, and it relates to the Detroit Lions. So as a team, they now have 18 touchdowns across their four games, which is the most in the entire league, while the Chicago Bears, Denver Broncos, and Dallas Cowboys have 18 combined. But all three of those teams have a better record than the Lions do. Yeah, I was just going to say, the Cowboys are 3-1. and Now, just quickly to sort of round that out, what this all comes down to is the fact that they pretty much have one of the worst defenses in the entire league. Yes, they've scored 140 points, but they've given up 141 which is 26 clear of the Seattle Seahawks in second place. Ridiculous. Yeah, and the Seahawks aren't too good either. So, yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's it's an interesting time in Detroit, but still probably better than than some years and many years. They they've been a pretty bad team for a long time. They they don't have much glory over there in Detroit in the NFL, so. Well, in general. All right, sure you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, look, it's obviously so, so good to have the NBL back. We've had a cracking first weekend of results. Cairns probably the biggest surprise packet of the lot, but all in all, it looks like it's going to be a great season and we can't wait to have Adelaide back on our shores. Obviously, some concerns in the NFL around Tua, so hopefully he's okay moving forward and can just get back to doing what he does best, which is throwing the football. I agree with everything you've said there. So excited for this summer. The NBL is going to be an absolute bumper season. T20 World Cup, as you said. There's still AFL trade period. Boy, there's a lot to be excited about. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.